Today we're going to be in John chapter 5, John chapter 5. So last week we ended Jesus' first ministry cycle, uh, finishing up in the end of chapter 4 there. Today we're going to be beginning Jesus' second ministry cycle. And uh, let me go ahead and read this passage for us and then we'll begin with a word of prayer and we'll, we'll jump right in. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. After after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had uh, had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another step down, while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, and nothing worse will happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews are seeking the more to kill him, uh, were seeking the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word. 
Um, Lord, I pray that in this, in this short time we have together that we will be able to understand what this passage is about, that we will be able to understand what you have for us to learn in these verses. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be open to your word, that we will be humble before your word. In your name, amen. amen. So here we're beginning Jesus' second ministry cycle. After this, uh, in verse 1, it does not give any specific timeline, but it's been suggested by scholars that this is, this is probably a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. Uh, today we'll see three truths in this passage. First, we'll see that we can rely on Jesus in difficult circumstances. Second, we'll see that our traditions do not determine Jesus' activity. And third, we'll see that Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is equal with God. So let's come walk through this passage. First off, we'll see in this first section that we can rely on Jesus in difficult circumstances. Look at verse 1 here. It says, it says after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, the, again, if you look at the text, it doesn't tell us what feast it is. So it's really hard to determine when this might have been or how long things have been. So there's a lot of speculation on which precise feast it was. But all John really tells us is that it was a feast. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem for a particular feast. So looking, uh, continuing on into verse 2, uh, it says there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. So what is going on with this place? What might be significant about this place? So the word, the, the title there, this, this place called the Sheep Gate, this is a place that's mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. It was a small opening in the north wall of the city. So if you're in the city of Jerusalem, right at the north end of there, there would be this, this small opening there uh, that was known as the Sheep Gate. The pool is named Bethesda we see there um, what was what does this pool was used to wash the sheep right so as they would come in at this gate they would wash the sheep in this pool before they would take the sheep to the sanctuary for sacrifice so um, therefore uh, because of this the upper class people or the people that wanted to stay pure and clean they would avoid this place this was a place for poor people to hang out at for, uh, for uh, people that were kind of, you know, that the, the upper class people might kind of scoff at. Oh, it's a dirty place over there. So this is kind of a dirty place. Now, they would avoid this place, but Jesus doesn't, right? We see Jesus is right here at this place. This pool itself was fed by large reservoirs known as Solomon's Pools. But it was also intermittently fed by a natural spring that flowed underneath the pool. So when the springs released water into the pool, the water would be stirred up or disturbed. Now, uh, be, during this disturbance, many locals believed that the pool was being visited by an angel of the Lord. So the spring would kind of release water into the pool. The pool would get kind of disturbed and the water would get kind of, kind of uh, agitated. And they, uh, the locals believed that, oh, this is an angel of the Lord coming and visiting this pool. And they believed then that the first person to get in the pool could be healed of whatever disease they had. Hence the we reason we see here at the end of verse 2 that there were, uh, or in verse 3, that there was a multitude of invalids that were around this area. So they're by this pool waiting for this to happen. They're expecting that this disturbance is going to take place. So these people would hang around there because they had this belief that they, there was some healing property in the water when the, when the, uh, when the pool would be, um, uh, would be stirred up. So there's all these people that are hanging out on, hanging out around, hanging out around there. Sorry, um, 
And if we go down to verse 5, it says this. It says, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, again, John doesn't tell us exactly what this guy's disease is. Doesn't tell us exactly what's wrong with him. Just tells us that, it's, that he's an invalid or someone who is weak, a person who is in their weakness. Is how it literally is translated there. Someone who is in their weakness. Now we can gather from verse 7 that most likely this was some kind of illness that prevented him from being able to move around very well. Right? Maybe he was paralyzed. Maybe, uh, maybe he was, uh, had, had a certain other kind of, of lameness, inability to walk. Or maybe he was just a really weak person. But either way, he's had this disease for 38 years. There's a long time to have a particular disease. Right? Maybe some of you are struggling and have been with a disease that you've had for that long. You can understand the severity of this man's issue, the severity of this man's illness, and also the impossibility of this man's illness. Right? It would seem impossible for this man to be healed. He's been sick for this, this long for 38 years. When look at verse 6. It says, um, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? John doesn't give us any particular reason why Jesus went and talked to this guy, right? Why him? There's lots of other people that are waiting to be healed, that are looking for healing. Why does Jesus pick this one particular person? Right? John never tells us. So really what we can gather, what we, we actually can maybe gather some stuff from later on in the passage, which we'll get to. Um, but at this point, we're really unsure. The question uh, that Jesus asked, though, would probably be kind of confusing. Now think about this. He's in a place where there's a bunch of people who want to be healed. And he says, do you want to be healed? Right? At first, that might kind of seem like an odd question. What do you think? Of course I want to be healed. Duh, that's why I'm here, right? But Jesus' question, just like we've seen Jesus do before, his questions are hardly ever just what's on the face of them, right? He, he asks people, do you want to be born again? Or he, he asks other people these questions that we've seen him ask, and hardly ever does Jesus just have the surface of the question in mind, right? Possibly in, involved in this, he's also saying, do you want to be healed like, really healed like do you want to have salvation right that may have been part of what's underneath this question what whatever the case is we see how this man responds we see that he responds uh with just understanding the surface of the question and not really understanding anything deeper about it the man like others before him did not understand the depth of his question <clears throat> now in verse 7 we see how this guy begins to answer. Before we look at his answer, we need to understand the rest of the context of this passage, though. Uh, oftentimes, if you're like me, uh, I have usually, and this is uh, uh, something I've been learning as I've been studying these passages through John, I always had this understanding that if Jesus talked to somebody or healed somebody, that they're automatically a Christian, right? And that's automatically what happens. Oh, Jesus touched the guy, so he must be a Christian now, right? He healed the guy, he must be a Christian now. That's not always the case. If you look in verse 11, John, if you continue through the rest of this passage, John kind of paints this guy in a very negative way. He's, he's not a really nice guy. If you, if you look in verse 11, he, uh, when the authorities confront him, uh, he tries to blame Jesus in order to get out of trouble. Hey, how come you're, why, why are you walking around with your mat? Well, that guy told me to right? He made me do it, right? If you look in verse 13, he's, he's 
not a very intelligent guy, right? Well, who healed you? I don't know. <laughs> really? You didn't get the name of the guy who healed you after being sick for 38 years? Right? He's kind of painted in kind of this, kind of a, he kind of looks like he's kind of a dull guy. And also in verse 15, he, when he, uh, he finds out that it is Jesus that heals him, what does he do right away? He goes right away and tattles on it. Right? So this guy is not a great guy. So when we look at the way that, he, that, that we see him responding in verse 7, we shouldn't think of this necessarily in context. It's, it's, we, we can't assume that he's having a nice answer here, right? This is probably a pretty grumpy answer. It's probably, you know, Jesus, he probably thinks Jesus just asked him a stupid question. Do you want to be healed? You think? Of course I want to be healed. I don't have anybody to take me down into the pool. Right? He's probably, it's probably a pretty grumpy answer knowing the rest of this guy's personality. Look what he says here. The man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Can you sound like you see how you can, you can kind of get this idea that he's pretty frustrated and kind of complaining here as well. Uh, right. Um, he's just grumbling about this. Now, Jesus then uh, responds to him um, or, or Hold on one second. Before we get any further, what we want to see here, John has done a brilliant job. In John chapter 9, there's a blind man that's, that's, that's healed in a very similar way, where he didn't catch, out, catch who, who it was that healed him. He wasn't sure of some of these things. But the guy's character in John chapter 9 is completely the exact opposite of what we see in John chapter 5. Right? So when, you, when we get to John chapter 9, we'll see this guy's opposite. This guy in John chapter 9 responds very positively to Christ and, and ends up becoming a believer. This man, although, we don't see any indication that he comes to Christ. We just see Jesus heals him, and he seems ultimately to be kind of ungrateful for what Jesus has done for him. Looking now, going down into verse 8, continuing on here. Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. The power of the voice of Jesus heals this man, right? He doesn't use the pool. He doesn't need it. So we see in John, what we already saw last week especially, we saw this man, who, uh, who this official who comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you heal my son, right? And what does Jesus do? Does he go with the guy to Capernaum to heal his son? No, he just speaks the word and his son is healed, Right? That's kind of a difficult way to do it, you'd think. I mean, if, as you read this, you're kind of like, man, Jesus just takes all the hard ways to do things. And this one right here, we've already got this set up. This is a very difficult situation. Somebody has been, has been waiting for 38 years to find healing. And here Jesus takes this person who's been hopelessly ill, and he finds this person to heal. Continually, John shows the power of Christ by picking out these miracles that show how powerful he is because of the difficulty of the situation. There's a difficulty and there's also a completeness that we see in the way he heals him, right? There's, there's the power we see in the voice of Jesus for healing him. He doesn't use a pool. He doesn't say, okay, well, let me help you get into the pool so you can be the first one, right? That would be giving authority to the pool, not to himself, Right? So instead, he, he, he just tells him, get up. Then he says, take up your bed and walk, showing that it's a complete healing. It's not just that he has the authority to heal. It's not just that it was a difficult thing to heal. But Jesus, when he heals this man, is a complete and total healing. Right? Um, completely and totally heals him. 
He heals this, uh, just like we saw last week with this healing this, this official son from a distance. So as we look at this passage, again, we, we saw, we're seeing in this passage how no matter how difficult the circumstances, Jesus can heal, right? Jesus can bring restoration. Jesus can be trusted. Uh, because Jesus is the son of God, we can trust that no matter how difficult the situation, he is able to bring healing or restoration, no situation we face in this life is beyond our Savior. We can absolutely, 100% trust him. Absolutely. Now, as we look into this next section, this next section we'll see that our traditions do not determine Jesus' activity. Now we see where some conflict comes up. John introduces this section in the second half of chapter 9. He says, now that day was the Sabbath. Okay, now we got something going here, right? Jesus heals this guy. Now John tries to set the scene up now. Today, it's the Sabbath day on this day. So this is going to be the center of a controversy here. Verse 10, so the Jews said to the, to the man that had been healed, is it the Sabbath? And is it, uh, or, uh, excuse me, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Now, before we... Uh, uh, get further in the story, we need to understand something about the culture in that day as well. Though in the Old Testament law, the only thing that is said, it is, it is commanded to not work on the Sabbath day. Now, all throughout the Old Testament, the implication is that you should cease from your regular, regular weekly work one, on that particular day of the week. You should stop whatever your regular business is to take a break from it. Right? That's what the command is in the Old Testament. However, tradition had developed to try to say, okay, well, what's work? Started asking this question. And they had come up with, again, we shouldn't be surprised by this at all, but there's 39 different areas that they would consider to be work. Right? They had come up with, what is work? Well, here's a list of 39 things that would be work. Like, come on. Right? We see this, this tradition has developed, this non-scriptural tradition. This is traditions that have happened that have developed as, a, as an attempt to interpret scripture, but it is not scripture itself. So they have developed this whole thing, and, and part of these, one of those particular 39 areas was that you could not carry something from one domain to another, right? There's no Bible verse that says that. But that was their understanding that you can't carry something from one domain to another. So they come at this guy and they say, hey, how come you're carrying something? That's work and you're breaking the Sabbath law. Right? This is how these guys approach him. Now look how he responds. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Right away he blames Jesus. Now again, in the minds of these authorities, look how they respond. Then they, then, uh, then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? It was way worse for the person. For, it's, the, it's one thing to be the guy who's carrying your mat. It's a whole other thing to be the guy who told the guy to carry your mat. Like, how dare you even tell somebody to break our rules? Who do you think you are? Right? And the answer is obvious. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is... God, he can absolutely do that. <clears throat> so this man blames Jesus in order to avoid trouble. And, and these religious leaders, they, uh, they, had, they considered this to be a much bigger sin is to tell somebody to break one of the categories. Uh, looking at verse 14 then. 
now Jesus meets back with the guy, right? The, the guy, they asked him, who, to, who told you to take up your bed and walk? And, and the, the guy says, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't catch him. We saw that Jesus went through, healed him. He kind of disappeared in the crowd, right? So a lot of people there. He, he got lost in the crowd. And now we see this guy is back again, walking around in the temple, and Jesus runs into him again. Now look how Jesus responds to him. He says, see, you are well. Hey, you're good now. You're healed. Right? This is good news. And look what he tells him. He says, he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Given what Jesus says, this is where we can kind of understand why Jesus may have picked him out. Given what Jesus says, it's possible that this person's illness came because of sin. Right now, that's not always the case. As we see in John chapter nine, the man that was born blind, it was not because of his sin or the sin of his parents that he was born blind. However, this man, whatever the case may be, it's very possible the way Jesus responds to him, that his sin was what led to his particular illness. Um, Jesus seems to indicate that some sin of this man may have led to his inability to walk, though the precise sin is also not named. It's not the, that's not the point. It is possible that the connection between this man's sin and his illness is precisely why Jesus chose to heal him, right? Of all of the people there, this may be somebody who his sin and his illness were, were completely connected. So Jesus came, went, went straight to that guy for that reason. Again, that would be speculation. We don't know that for sure. Now, this does not mean that every instance of illness is directly because of a person's sin. Sometimes there's a connection and sometimes not. Jesus tells this man to stop sinning so that nothing worse may happen to you, right? So here's what Jesus commands him. Jesus here is calling this man to repentance. Stop sinning so that nothing worse may happen to you. He basically is saying, repent so you can avoid judgment. Repent because judgment is coming. And then what we'll see next week, Jesus starts talking about judgment. So it's very likely that this is what he's talking about. This is what he's telling him is, is, is that is don't stop sinning so that nothing worse may happen to you. Come to repentance. Become a Christian. Follow me. So that you can not be a part of the judgment that is about to take place, that is going to take place, right? That final judgment to, to, to not be a part of that. The something worse is almost certainly a reference to final judgment for sin which Jesus discusses in verses 22 through 24. This man, excuse me, is the, as far as the text tells us, has not believed in Jesus and is still under the wrath of God. Right? So Jesus is calling him to repentance. Verse 15, now, the, now, the man knew the, now that the man knew the identity of Jesus, um, of, of the one who had healed him, he goes and reports him to the authorities. The man went away, verse 15, and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. In verse 16, then we see, uh, see uh, something going on here. It says that this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't have any concern for the rules that they've made up. Uh, and this angered the Jews, and it caused them to want to persecute Jesus even more. Right? So Jesus breaking their traditions is what brought them to want to persecute Jesus. Now, one scholar said this, says the Jews hear of the wonderful healing and of the formal breach of their code, and they're interested only in the latter. They're interested only in the breaking of the code. They think they see what is important, but in religious matters, there are none so blind 
as those who are always certain that they can see. Right? Oftentimes, among us, the ones that are most blind are the ones that are so certain that they're right. In this section, we see that Jesus doesn't follow man-made traditions to accomplish his will. Everything you see in this building, the guitar, pianos, the heating and air conditioning, sound booth, microphones, pews, tables, chairs, basketball courts, puppets, uh, buildings themselves, the parking lots, everything are merely tools. They're just tools. They're just instruments. They do not produce worship. This microphone doesn't cause people to worship. It doesn't. This, this guitar doesn't help anybody. It doesn't cause anybody to worship, does it? Right? If, if Wayne was not playing the guitar, would everybody be like, oh, I can't worship. There's no guitar. I can't do it. No, that'd be ridiculous to think that. These traditions, these things that we have, they don't produce worship. They are merely tools to worship. <clears throat> Any tool we have ought to, be, ought to be used for one single goal. That is to see more people become worshipers. Jesus does not require these tools. He doesn't need them. <clears throat> if he wanted to, he could use other tools. The primary tool he uses is us, right? He, he molds and shapes us into his image so that we can go out and share the gospel with our friends, with our neighbors, and with our coworkers. He doesn't need this building for us to do that. This building, uh, um, he, he doesn't need this building for us to do that. By God's grace, we do have the building, right? On a day like today, as cold as it is, as we all probably saw the frost this morning, on a day like today, it's great, what a blessing to have a place we can gather where we can have warmth so we're not freezing, right? This is a huge blessing. It's definitely something God has given to us. And it is a, it is a great blessing, but it is, just, it is just a means to an end, especially on a cold day like today, right? It's a great way for us to be able to help us with our worship so that we can stay focused and not be worried about how cold we are. Right? The building or anything in it are not an end in themselves. Um, our stuff or whatever our traditions are, they are replaceable. Jesus does not act in a certain way because of our traditions, but because of our obedience to his word. And third today, we'll see that we see here uh, in this passage that Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is equal with God. We'll see that G Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is equal with God. Now, typically at this point, we might expect to see Jesus kind of confront these guys and say, hey, you don't understand the Bible, right? You don't understand what's going on here. Your, your understanding of the Sabbath is way off. In fact, throughout the other Gospels, that's usually kind of how Jesus takes this. What Jesus' point usually is, is that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, that that was the harvesting time, that, that this stuff doesn't matter, that we're about the work of the Gospel because this is the time of harvest. Right? And those, those rules, those laws, those, those traditions that they have don't matter. Um, but here Jesus takes a completely different turn. Instead of pointing out their, in, their misunderstanding of the Bible, he, he takes this as an opportunity to reveal his divine status as the Son of God. Next week we'll see him detail this out more 
Um, but this week he kind of just bring we see an, just an introduction to this, um, as next week we'll see how he how he talks about his relationship as the son and the uh, between the son and the father in the Trinity. So let's look at this beginning verse seventeen. But Jesus answered them. Let's pause there for a second. Did they ask him anything? They didn't say anything, right? Jesus knew their thoughts and intentions right away. He they, he they says in the verse before it they wanted to, they were going to persecute him all the, all the more, and Jesus answered them like, whoa. Right? If that doesn't show he's divine alone, then the rest of this is, 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 is going to blow your mind. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Now, Jesus' response itself is peculiar. Right? Isn't that kind of a weird way to answer? Right? These guys want to persecute him because he's working on the Sabbath. He's doing something that they consider to be work on the Sabbath. And he says, my father's working, and I'm working. Okay? It seems like an odd thing for Jesus to answer. So let's understand, in order to get this, let's understand the first century Jewish mindset. In the first century, there was much debate among the religious teachers over whether or not God broke the Sabbath, right? In Genesis chapter two, it says that uh, God rested on the seventh day, but he clearly couldn't cease from working, right? Otherwise, the whole universe would fall apart. There's, he didn't stop. So what, what's going on here? How do we understand this? Right? So in their mind, remember, they have added all of these extra rules to what it means to work. Now they're trying to fit God into that box of their own traditions. And so look what they do. Look at the, in the first century world, this is what they did. So the question was asked, does God break the Sabbath? So if God is working on the Sabbath day, is he breaking it? What do we do with that? If God is breaking the Sabbath, then God's sinning. We can't have that going on either, Right? Remember, they've added these 39 categories of work which must be followed. They reasoned then that since the universe, the entire universe is God's domain, God can never carry anything outside his domain. Okay, did that really need to be said, right? But this is, what they, this is these conclusions that they came up to. Second, they reasoned that God also fills the whole world. So obviously he can't carry anything outside of his domain there too. And third, they saw that they, they had the understanding, they, they reasoned, that God can lift nothing to a height greater than his stature. That was another one of the rules. You can't lift anything up higher than yourself, right? So God can't lift anything higher than himself. So, well, he must not be working that. He, he's not carrying anything outside his domain. He's everywhere all at once. He can't pick up anything higher than himself. He can't microwave a burrito so hot that he even he can't touch it, right? He can't. <laughs> You ever heard that one? That's a great one, right? Can God microwave a burrito so hot that even he can't eat it? Um, no. The answer is no, because uh, he, no, that's impossible. All that doesn't, it's irrelevant, right? Thus, the work of God is do, the work God is doing in sustaining creation is not any kind of work that would create, that would constitute Sabbath breaking, right? This is how they reasoned. When God responds to the Jewish leaders, he says emphatically, my own father is working until now and I am working. In other words, Jesus uses their logic against them, right? What he tells them is that if God, who he strongly identifies as my own father, is constantly working even on the Sabbath without breaking law, then Jesus must be considered by the same rules. That's what Jesus is telling them. He says, my father's working until now, and I'm working. In other words, I have the same rules that God has. Now, why can Jesus say that? Because he is God. Amen. Right? So what Jesus demands of these, of these men is say, you need to treat me the same way you would treat God. 
because I am equal with God. Now you can imagine, this is how verse 18 is going to come about. He makes a pretty strong claim. Even further, he says, my own father. No self-respecting Jewish person would ever call God that in that close of terms, right? They might say, my own father in heaven, right? Just to make sure they bring that distance there. But they never would say, my own father. Refer to God in that way, right? This would have been appalling for them, for him to even say that. So we see that Jesus here is making a strong claim to his own deity, saying, you need to, I, I, I follow the same rules God does. You need to treat me in the same way that you would, treat the, you would treat God. You need to think of me in the same way that you would think of God. And he's my own father, right? And again, we'll look at next week, we'll be un, unpacking some of these Trinitarian aspects, some of this, how, how, about how God is Trinity. Truly, he is equal with the Father. He is 100% God. That's John chapter one. That goes back to the first couple weeks of this series. Right? We see that Jesus is 100% God. Then if God can, uh, can be considered not to be breaking the Sabbath, then he is not either. Um, so verse 18, then, this is how they respond to that. As we might expect, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he, was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus' comments there moves it from they wanted to persecute Jesus to now they want to kill Jesus. And this right here is the very first time we see in the Gospel of John this movement, the beginning of this movement toward the cross. Right now we have these people are dead set on crucifying and killing Jesus. Right? And now the rest of this gospel, we're going to see that continue to unpack and it's going to get stronger and stronger until we get to the cross. So here we see uh, the, their, their, their theology had no place for a triune God. They couldn't, they couldn't bear to think that he was even calling himself and making himself equal with God. To them, this was utter blasphemy and it deserved death. Jesus then is 100% God. Jesus has beat, the, or John has beat this drum over and over again. If Jesus is 100% God, he deserves our worship. He absolutely deserves our worship. John's goal in writing the gospel is found in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. That was our first sermon in this series where he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Here is the purpose of all of Scripture, and especially this gospel. Seeing these miracles and seeing his teaching, uh, they, they point to one fact, that he is the Son of God and he is our Savior. Would you trust him today to be your Savior? If you're here today and you're not a believer, let me, uh, let me urge you. Jesus does not mince words here. Jesus is, is, is not subtle about this. He is very clear in who, he believe, in who he claims to be. He is clear in who he is. He is the divine son of God. And if he is God, then he demands our worship. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you've not given your, put your faith in and trusted Jesus for your salvation, let me urge you to do that today. Um, during this time of invitation, 
you can come to me and I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, secondly, if you're if you are a believer, maybe you've been visiting our church for a while and you're looking for a place to to call your church home, uh, looking for a place to be a member of a church. Uh, let me know and come come and talk to me as well, either after the service or during this invitation. I'd love to we'd love to walk through with you how we can how we can make that happen, how we can uh, uh, help you join our church as a member. And uh, third, if you're a believer here, we've seen uh, we've seen three major aspects here about about Jesus. One, we can trust him. Nothing is too difficult for Jesus. Maybe you're facing a difficult situation and you think Jesus could never help me in this situation. We see right here. Jesus heals a man that's 38 years old in his illness. He absolutely can help you. He absolutely can bring healing and restoration. He absolutely can do that. Will you trust him for that? Secondly, we see that our traditions, Jesus doesn't work by our traditions. No matter what we have come to Jesus with, we, we, we can't tell Jesus how to function. Right? We need to be submissive. As a church, we need to be submissive to what God would have us do. Not say, God, you have to fit into our box of what we want you to do. Right? We need to be submissive and then learn what it is that God would have us to do as a church. And third, we see that, God, that Jesus deserves our worship. Mm -hmm. And he deserves our worship. Are you worshiping him today? Maybe you are a believer and you haven't uh, been worshiping Christ with every decision you make. May you, may you make that decision today. Let me... Uh, and pray for us, and then, and then Wayne will lead us in a song. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to look at your word, to look at this passage, to see these great truths in your word. Lord, I pray this, during this time of invitation that if there's anyone that you uh, would have respond, that they would respond, either in their seats or at this altar or uh, in coming to talk to me, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just give them the strength to do so. In your name, amen. Please stand. If you're following along in your hymnal, there was a type error. It's number 146 and not 142.
So, um, Mike and Tanny. Mike and Tanny have come today uh, interested in becoming members of our church. Uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna vote on them right now. We're gonna get a chance to meet with them and talk with them. <laughs> no, <laughs> that just makes me even more. For those who didn't hear him, he said it might be good to vote right now. <laughs> Uh, we're going to get a chance to meet with him and chat with him um, and, and chat with the two of them before before we make any official uh, official vote on them. So uh, uh, be patient with us as we move through that process. So I just wanted to present them to you guys and, and, uh, and let you guys know that that's what they're interested in. So we're really thankful for that decision and, and we're looking forward to that. Um, again, uh, so right now, um, uh, we'll, as Wayne's going to dismiss you, um, uh, Wayne's going to dismiss us here with the song. Remember, we do have the vote over uh, with uh, Todd and Nicole. Uh, real quick after the service, I know we got out a little bit later than I was hoping to, um, but stick around real quick, and we love to we love to have the opportunity to, to vote on them and to see how the Lord is going to work in, in our church. So if you're a member, please stick around. Uh, we love to, uh, to have for you guys to participate in that with us. We're going to close with the chorus: How great is our God? How great. Our God, sing 